Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is today's first reading, Isaiah chapter 12. We hear again these words. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, according to the old saying, there are only two things in life that you can be absolutely certain of. And maybe you're thinking of them right now. Death and taxes. Death and taxes. That sounds reasonable, right? Because everybody dies, and pretty much everybody also has to pay taxes in one form or another. Property tax, sales tax, income tax, etc., etc. But what if I told you that really we can't be certain of either of those things? Let's talk about death first. It's true what the scriptures say, of course. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve, our first parents, brought caskets and crypts into God's perfect world when they fell into sin. And for our sins, we deserve temporal and eternal death from our God. However, we also know very well our Lord's promise to come again. When he does come again, all those who are alive at the time of his coming are going to face his judgment, even though they have not faced physical death. Jesus is coming again, as we know well, my friends, and it could happen any time. It could happen during our lifetime. So it's not absolutely certain that all of us are going to die. What about taxes? Well, history is littered with the carcasses of failed nations. Nations rise, they become prosperous, they become powerful, they begin to tax their citizens, and then they fall into ruin. For example, the mighty Roman Empire. Certainly during its heyday, that Roman Empire was taxing the millions of citizens who had been conquered by its legions. But the last I checked, the Roman Empire wasn't taxing anybody anymore. Could that happen here in the good old U.S. of A.? Could the land of the free and the home of the brave fall as an empire, as a nation, and lose its ability to tax us? Sure, that could happen. Probably fairly soon someone else will take their place. But, but finally, taxes aren't really all that certain either. So, what then can we be certain of? On the basis of God's word before us this morning, my friends, I want to share with you three rock-solid, immovable truths. Be certain of these three facts today. Fact number one, God is angry about our sin. Fact number two, God has saved us from our sin. Fact number three, God is worthy of our thanks and our praise. Let's dig into Isaiah's words. You know, a lot of Christians don't even spend much time reading words like those of Isaiah the prophet. They don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. They kind of skip over it, and their reasoning is, I really want to read about Jesus. I want to hear about the things that he did for my salvation. And that sounds kind of good at first, but it's actually a mistake. 
This is what Jesus said about the Old Testament. He said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. The Old Testament, too, is all about Jesus. And perhaps that's no more clearly seen than on the pages of Isaiah the prophet. He's sometimes referred to as the evangelist of the Old Testament, and I think that's a good title for him because Isaiah just writes so clearly about our Savior. Of course, you can't really write clearly about the Savior unless you write clearly about what he has saved us from, unless you write clearly about sin. And Isaiah does that too. In our text, he writes, I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away. God is angry about sin. He's angry with sinners. And the word that Isaiah uses here to describe God's anger is kind of interesting. The word literally means to snort. Think of a fire-breathing dragon. Think of uh, an angry bull whose nostrils flare in its rage just before it charges. The picture is clear, isn't it? God isn't just a, a little bit miffed. He's just not kind of put out a little bit by our sins. He's livid about them. That is a certainty. And the rest of Scripture just backs this up. God said to Adam and Eve when they fell, You will surely die. He said through his prophet Ezekiel, The soul who sins is the one who will die. And that gives us a pretty clear picture, doesn't it? It's not the one who sins will get a spanking. It's not the one who sins is going to have to go to bed without his supper. It's the soul who sins will die. Death is the well-deserved, divinely pronounced judgment on every last sinner. So, what have we done? Why is God so angry with us? Why have we made him snort in his anger toward us? I mean, you know, there are a lot of awful, terrible people out there in the world. Are we really that bad that God would be so angry with us? James wrote something interesting in his letter. He said, if you keep the entire law and stumble at just one point, you're guilty of breaking all of it. Well, we haven't just stumbled at one point, of course. We have stumbled and tripped and fallen flat on our faces again and again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By nature, we too are proud and selfish. We are greedy and materialistic. We are lazy and unloving. By nature, we are adulterers and murderers. We are thieves and idolaters. Every day in our thoughts and desires, our words and actions, we do exactly those things that God commands us not to do. And to add insult to injury, then we fail to do the good things that God commands us to do. We're so guilty of so often serving only ourselves. And my friends, because of this, we deserve death. We deserve God's punishment now and eternally. You see, God is not just this kindly, old, indulgent grandpa that many people like to think of him as. You know, he kind of just smiles and, and pats you on the head. Uh, he doesn't really care about your faults all this that much. He just overlooks them sort of with a wink. He certainly wouldn't do anything ever to punish you for anything. He'd never, ever send anybody to hell. Those who think that way are wrong. They're dead wrong. God is serious about his commands. He's serious about the punishment that he promises to those who break his commands. 
But my friends, thanks and praise be to our God because he's just as serious about saving those who have broken his commands, saving you and me. Listen again to the prophet's words. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Where did God's anger go? Did God just take a few deep breaths and count to ten and wait until he felt better about things? Did God seek out professional counseling to have his anger managed in some way? Did God, the Creator, create for himself one of those little round stress balls so that he could squeeze it every time one of his creatures rebelled against him? No. Isaiah tells us what happened to God's anger. He says, your anger has turned away. God's anger didn't just fade away or disappear into thin air. His anger turned away from us toward another. His divine justice and wrath over sins sought out a brand new target. In the 53rd chapter of this very same prophecy of Isaiah, we meet that person. Familiar words. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. You know very well who was pierced and crushed, who was wounded and punished in our place. Jesus Christ, our only Savior. All of that, according to God's ancient plan, the Holy One of Israel, God himself, took on human flesh in the womb of the lowly virgin so he could live under the law in our place, so he would be subject to that law. And he kept it at every point for us without fail. And then he took that perfectly innocent life to a place that was all about punishment and death. And there on the cross of Golgotha, he shed his priceless blood that pays for the sins of all people. And my friends, just think about what this means for you. Jesus' perfect life counts for you as if you lived it. His holy blood shed on that cross pays for your every sin. Forgiveness in Christ is full and free. You are holy and innocent in the eyes of God. And because Jesus rose again on the third day, death no longer has any power for you. Death has lost its sting. Now you should understand that there are a lot of people in this world who would tell you that everything I just told you isn't true. It's just a dream. It really sounds nice. Uh, but all those things I talked about Jesus doing, those are just cleverly invented stories. They're very nice, but they are not historical facts. Well, let me assure you of something. People who think that way are wrong. Let me assure you that everything I've just told you on the basis of God's word is the truth. Let me assure you that Jesus' life and death and resurrection for us are historical facts. And let me assure you that forgiveness and life and salvation are yours. Real blessings from the hand of a gracious God. But of course, don't take my word for it. I'm just a man. Listen to God, who is not a man that he should lie. Listen to what he says to us in his word today. Surely, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. My friends, that's the confession of a sinner that knows on his own he's doomed. 
So he looks to God alone for salvation. That is the confession of a weak human being who knows that he can do nothing by his own strength. And so he leans on God for strength to fight his daily battles. That is the confession of a terrified person who knows that only God can take his fears away. And my friends, by God's grace, that is our confession too. Isn't it wonderful to know with 100% certainty God sent his Son to save us? And because our God did that, he is worthy of our thanks and our praise. Listen again to our text. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Give praise to the Lord. Just what does it mean to praise someone? Well, when we praise someone, we talk about their admirable qualities. We talk about the good things that they have done, their accomplishments. My mom makes the best macaroni and cheese in the whole wide world. Something that I think might be literally true of my mom. Those first uh, responders who ran into that house, that burning house, thinking not at all of their own safety, but just about saving the people inside, boy, they are, they are really something I want to commend them. Lisa's creations made such a wonderful cake for our wedding. It was both beautiful and delicious. Can't recommend them highly enough. Now, Mom's macaroni and cheese and the actions of those brave first responders and Lisa's creations all inspire words of praise, right? And by the way, when you praise, you don't do it in secret, do you? You don't go and whisper to somebody in the corner. You speak those words aloud for everybody to hear. You shout them from the rooftops. You'll tell them to anyone who will listen. Well, of course, God's grace toward us in Christ inspires our praise. And what a joy it is to share the good news of his greatness, his goodness, his grace with anybody who will listen. To tell them God so loved the world. And that means you because you are a part of the world. God loves you too. To tell them the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. And it means what it says, all sin. Every one of your sins is completely washed away and forgiven in Christ. To tell the world there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't condemn you for your sins any longer. He has taken them all away and Instead, he welcomes you with open arms and he embraces you like the father embraced his son in the parable that we heard today. And he won't let anything get between you and his love, not even death itself. Now, I'm sure that mom's mac and cheese and that wedding cake made by Lisa were delicious. And certainly those first responders are worthy of that pat on the back. But my friends, is there anyone... Is there anyone anywhere more worthy of worship and praise, of glory and honor, of shouting and singing than is our Savior God? And is there any message more powerful, more life-changing than the good news of his saving love? God is certainly worthy of our worship and praise. Death and taxes. Unless Jesus comes again first, all of us here today are going to die. 
and until we die we're probably going to have to keep on paying taxes. My friends, isn't it wonderful to know that with God there is no probably. The God who is angry about sin sent his one and only Son to save us. That is a fact. Jesus Christ shed his holy blood on the cross to get rid of all of our sins. We are forgiven in him. That is a fact. Jesus rose again on the third day. And because he did, we are assured of life now and life forever. That is a fact. Again, my friends, these are not probabilities. This is not a probably sort of a situation. These are absolute certainties in Christ. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Amen.